The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. We're studying in Proverbs this summer, and uh, we said the key verse in Proverbs is Proverbs 1-7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And what we said is that unless we have a transformed heart, unless Christ is our Savior, then the things we're talking about will not be possible. But when Christ is our Savior, through the power of the Spirit living within us, we have the power to deal with the issues at hand. So this morning, one of the things that's spoken of frequently in Proverbs is the, uh, the topic of addictions. And so that's what I'll be speaking on this morning as we look at God's word together. So let's bow and pray. And as we pray, I appreciate your prayers. We got booted off a trial in Nashville because of progression of disease. And so we're checking out what's next as we continue to trust God for next steps. So thank you for continuing to do that. Father, this morning as we open the word, we desire to hear from you. We desire to be taught from you. So Spirit of God, would you, as we deal with this difficult topic that affects so many of us, would you superintend, would you convict, would you change and help us to be those who just don't look in the mirror and walk away, but those who look in the mirror and respond with application. So Spirit of God, would you take your word, my efforts to your glory, Lord Jesus, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Addiction is defined as a state of being enslaved to a habit or a practice or to something that is psychologically or physically habit-forming, such as drugs or alcohol, to such an extent that its cessation causes severe trauma. It's a state of being enslaved to something that when we have to give it up, it causes severe trauma or we find ourselves not being able to give it up at all. Addictions may be to bad things like drugs, alcohol, pornography. But addictions may be to things that are not in themselves bad, but can become something we become enslaved to, like video games, shopping, social media, news, food, and body image. They can all become addictions even though they in themselves are not bad things. Addictions are difficult to overcome. I used a story several years ago and uh, how difficult it may be to overcome an addiction. A cowboy walked into a bar in West Texas. He ordered three bottles of beer. He asked the bartender to open all three at the same time. He took a sip out of one, sip out of the second, sip out of the third. He repeated it until all three beers were drained. He finished, he left, and he repeated this weekly. After about six weeks of doing this, the bartender looked at the cowboy and said, you know, a bottle goes flat after I open it. It would taste a lot better if you drank one at a time. And he looked at him and said, sir, the reason I'm doing this is I have two brothers. One lives in Australia, one lives in Dublin, Ireland, and I'm here in Texas. When we all left home, we promised that we'd do this to honor one another. So each of us drank one beer, one sip at a time, or drank three beers, one sip at a time until they're all gone. The bartender admitted it was a nice custom and he left it there. He did share with the other customers in the bar what was going on because they were all curious about it as it was a rather oddity, odd thing to see. One day, the cowboy came in and ordered only two bottles of beer. All the regulars took notice, the bartender took notice, and he walked over to the cowboy and he said, "Uh, I really don't want to intrude on your grief, but I do want to offer my condolences for your loss. And the cowboy was stunned. He had no idea what he was talking about, and then it dawned on him and he laughed. He said, oh, everybody's just fine. My brothers are fine. It's just that me and my wife joined the Baptist church here in West Texas. I have to quit drinking, but it hadn't affected my brothers yet. (laughs) 
having grown up Baptist, being a Reformed Baptist, I can relate to that. I mean, <laughs> addictions. I pray this morning, and as I was preparing this message over the last week and thinking about it for the last couple of weeks, I'm praying that it brings hope and healing. I'm praying it brings conviction and comfort. We prayed over dozens of people last hour. At the end of the service, we're going to invite those of you who either have wrestled with an addiction or have family members wrestling with addiction, we want to pray for you, pray for them. And by God's grace, uh, we have seen him do some miraculous things that you'll hear about at the end of the service. But I'm praying that as we look at the word today, that there will be conviction and comfort, there'll be hope, and there'll be healing. Proverbs talks about several different types of addictions. Proverbs 1 through 7 is an extended metaphor about wisdom. And it's pretty interesting that an extended metaphor about wisdom, often Solomon talks about the sexual relationship. It's really a, a, a father talking to his son regarding sexual addiction is what we talk about. And so we're going to spend a lot of time looking at that next week. But this week, I just want to focus on one short passage, Proverbs chapter 6. If you want to open your devices, Proverbs 6. If you want to open your Bibles, Proverbs 6. Most of the verses will also be on the screens in front of you. In Proverbs 6, beginning in verse 26, it says this. For an account of a harlot, one is reduced to a loaf of bread. And an adulteress hunts for the precious life. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Or can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not get scorched? So is the one who goes in to his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her will not go unpunished. Solomon is describing a man or even a woman who is willing to lose everything to pursue a sexual relationship. I mean, he begins by saying, you're reduced to a loaf of bread. He's willing, she's willing to give up everything, no matter what it is, to pursue this sexual relationship. But the scriptures are true. He says the one who goes into his neighbor's wife will not go unpunished. What's done in the darkness will eventually be exposed by the light. As I study this and read through this and look at this, I'm glad that ended in Old Testament times, aren't you, that that doesn't happen today. It's tragic. You know, one of the privileges of having been a pastor in the same place for so long is you get to know your sheep really well. And you see them week after week after week. Uh, this August 15th will be 38 years we've been blessed to be part of this body. And what a blessing it is. But one of the heartaches is you get to know your sheep well. And over the years, I can't tell you the number of couples that we have counseled, that we have seen, that we have watched people sacrifice families, sacrifice careers, sacrifice jobs, sacrifice homes for an illicit sexual relationship. Men and women who became addicted to relationship outside of marriage, men and women who became addicted to something they shouldn't be addicted to, and all of a sudden we find that their, their lives are spinning out of control. And they are willing to give up a wife or a husband. They're willing to give up kids. They're willing to give up a career. They're willing to give up a, a, a lucrative job to continue to pursue that relationship. And the scriptures are clear about this. There's an epidemic in our world right now. If this epidemic was in the area of disease, we would throw everything we had at it. It's an epidemic in the arena of pornography. I feel like I talk about this often, but it's just spinning out of control, and it's spinning out of control not just in the world, but in the church as well. Look at these statistics. There are around 42 million porn websites on the internet today, 
which total around 370 million pages of porn that you have access to right now on your telephone, right now. One of our uh, men came to me, he's an expert in this area, that's what he does for a living. He deals with uh, internet, sex trafficking and those types of things. He says, Gary, right now, over 50% of the internet searches are in the area of pornography. That's Google, Amazon, everything else combined. Over 50% of internet searches have to do with pornography. The porn industry's annual revenue is more than the NFL, NBA, and Major League Baseball combined. Think about that. I mean, that, 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 that just is mind-boggling to me. It is also more than the combined revenues of ABC, CBS, and NBC. When you're paying basketball players $300 million a year to play, that's one guy on one team, and yet the combined revenue from, from those three, NFL, NBA, uh, MLB, Major League Baseball, is less than the porn industry, that, that statistic just blows my mind. Here's another one for you. 47% of families in the United States report that pornography is a problem in the home. 47%, that's one out of every two families in America. 11 is the average age that a child is first exposed to pornography. 94% of children will see pornography by the age of 14. That should ch- cause you to gasp. You see, there's more power in this thing in your pocket or your purse right now and availability to things that uh, were unavailable to so many for so long. That if you are not a diligent parent taking care of the access that your sons and daughters have to pornography, they're gonna be there before you know it. It is just so readily and easily available in the curiosity of a teen gone through puberty is is that they're fighting that battle already in the midst of it, everything is available to them with the device in their pocket. 68% of church going men and over 50% of pastors view pornography on a regular basis. Over 50% of pastors. I can look you in the eyes, in the eye, in the eye, and I can tell you only by the grace of God that I've never been to a pornographic website in my life. I don't say that bragging. I just say that God has protected me. I, I can look at my bride every single day, and she knows I have never touched a woman in the 38 years we have been here in our 42 years of marriage inappropriately ever. That's only God's grace. Some some of you have, and you know the the, the pain that comes with that and the heartbreak and heartache that comes with that. And God has restored you in many, many ways. But the reality of is this this addiction is mind-boggling. If that addiction was a disease, we would throw everything we had at it. And the reality of it is it's a tremendous addiction that many are, are, are just, they can't give up. What do you think is the fastest growing demographic of pornographic usage in our society? The fastest growing demographic of porn usage in our society, women aged 25 and under. The fastest growing search for pornography on the internet today. So when I look at all those statistics and when I throw those at you and my friend that's an expert in this area said, Gary, your statistics are outdated. And I said, bro, the latest ones I could find, these are from 2017. I couldn't find that on 18. The reality of it is pornography is a gateway to infidelity. It robs a couple of intimacy that should occur only between a husband and a wife. I appreciate the honesty of this gentleman who wrote an article for Leadership Journal many years ago, actually about seven years ago. 
He says, for many years I used sexual behavior as my drug, but my problem wasn't sex. Any recovering sex addict learns that our, any addict learns that our behavior is not the real problem. The compulsive behaviors are merely the symptoms of something deeper. I was a husband, a father, and a pastor. I had served on Young Life staff, earned two seminary degrees, and I'd been at the same church for over a dozen years. I believed what I preached. Never in my journey did I rationalize or excuse my involvement with pornography, nor did I think it was okay for me to have a secret life. But he says, my addiction and my faith were at war. My soul was the battlefield. It was a battlefield because I knew my private life was incompatible with what I really believed in my public life. And I couldn't overcome it. I appreciate his honesty. The battle that he had, the struggle that he had. Because here's what I believe. That Satan deceives us, then he defiles us, then he deadens us. He deceives us into thinking it's okay. I can't tell you the number of couples I've met with and the husband has said, well, it's good for our marriage. And I said, well, let me ask your wife what she thinks about that. See if she appreciates being compared to some woman who's been airbrushed and who looks her best and blah, blah, blah. Satan deceives us, then he defiles us, and then he deadens us to sin. Another author puts it this way, Satan gets a toehold, then a foothold, then a stronghold. He gets a toehold. He inches in and gets a little part of our lives. Then he gets a foothold, and before we know it, he's strangling us to death. In Galatians chapter 6, the apostle Paul says this, don't be deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he reaps. The one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. See, if you sow in the area of immorality, porn usage, relationships outside of marriage, you're going to reap a whirlwind, the scriptures say. And that whirlwind is going to destroy your soul, destroy your marriage, destroy everything that you are. And you're going to live like that man I just read, filled with guilt and shame, confessing sin, but not repenting from sin, which means to turn from sin. And we're going to talk about some steps to take at the end of the message and how God might walk you through those steps. About uh, 20 years ago in Orlando, Florida, the killer whale that uh, was really the first one to uh, make appearances before audiences and was the best trained whale was a whale named Tillicum. This is a picture of Tillicum in Orlando, Florida. On July 6, 1999, so we're going back a number of years now, 27-year-old Daniel Dukes went to SeaWorld in Orlando where Tillicum was in a pool. He had plans that day to do something differently than everybody else at SeaWorld. At closing time, when all the other guests left the park, he hid somewhere and stayed behind. He had a fantasy of, of swimming with the killer whale. No one knows for sure what happened, but somehow he climbed a fence, jumped into the pool with the five-ton killer whale named Tillicum. He, he had stripped down to swimming trunks, and we know that because his folded clothes were found on the pool next to him. Nobody knows what happened. Some experts believe the, male, the whale may have been startled by the man's sudden appearance. In fear, he uh, may have dived in the vortex of his dive, took the man underwater, Daniel Dukes underwater, and he drowned. Others think that the whale thought he was a toy and dragged him around the pool just for fun, keeping him underwater until he drowned. The next morning, when the trainers and workers showed up to open the pool up to get Tillicum ready for the day's activities, 
Duke's body was draped over Tillicum's back, and he had drowned. One person using this illustration, Mark Atterbury, writes these words. He says, when I first heard that story on the news, I thought it was a perfect picture of the consequences of sin. We climb over a fence, not to wreak havoc and destruction, but just to have a little fun. The problem is we underestimate the danger. We intend to stay just for a little while, but then sin sinks its teeth into us and refuses to let us go. And before we know it, we've been drowned. Some of you are struggling with this addiction right now. Church the size of TBC, hundreds of people coming to worship today. For some of you right now, you're trying to make eye, not make eye contact with me. Because last night, you know what you were looking at and where you were, and you're ashamed of it. And I pray that this message will bring you conviction, but comfort. It'll bring you hope and bring you healing. Because all you're doing is destroying those that love you around you. Well, the scriptures go on. By the way, there's some great helpful resources. If you want to take a picture of this slide, uh, maybe it's not for you, maybe it's for your friend, maybe it's for a family member. You know they're battling this, or you can take your phone out, take a picture. We also put all the slides up on our website. We load them up on Monday afternoon, so Monday afternoon, Tuesday morning, the slide will be up there, you can get it. Celebrate Recovery is a program we have here at TBC every Tuesday night. There are about 100 men and women that come, and one of the small groups that meets after the Lord's group is those who are wrestling with sexual addictions. Setting Captives Free is an excellent ministry. The Setting Captives Free will give you a 90-day program to work through. They will give you an online mentor, and for 90 days, they'll take you through the scriptures and various things to give you help if you're wrestling with a sexual addiction. Be Broken is a great ministry out of San Antonio founded by Jonathan Darty. Jonathan Darty was a young man who grew up at TBC a number of years ago. His dad was an elder at TBC. He was exposed to pornography when he was 12 or 13 years old and uh, became a lifelong habit for him, uh, became involved in extramarital affairs. By God's grace, the conviction came over him uh, of the Holy Spirit. He responded to that. His wife, Elaine, bless her, uh, allowed the, him to stay in the family and they they basically got things together by God's grace, and that was about 15 years ago, and their ministry has exploded, and they have hundreds and hundreds of men and women that are involved in their ministry, respond to their ministry, being cared for by their ministry, breaking free of sexual addictions. Worthy of Her Trust is a book that was recommended to me uh, by the Spiegels, actually. I saw Connie a little earlier. I've passed out dozens of those. It's written by Stephen Afterburn and Jason Martinkus. It's a great book on uh, what you need to do to rebuild sexual integrity and win your spouse back. All excellent resources. Every Man's Battle is another great resource. There are conferences in Texas that take place a couple of times a year. This is an epidemic. It's an epidemic in the, in the world, but it's an epidemic in the church. And I pray for you because it's, it, it'll, it holds so many men, especially, but women too, in bondage. So those are sexual addictions. What about substance addictions? How many of you have had a, had a family member or a close friend that has battled with substance abuse, drugs or alcohol? Would you raise your hand and keep them high? Raise, take a look around the room. Go ahead and take a look. That's over half of us, same as last hour. Some of you have been freed from that. Some of you are wrestling with that. Many of us have had that struggle. Many of us are, are in the midst of that struggle. It, we, we saw it in our family. When I grew up, Mr. Mack and Miss Mary lived next door. 
Mr. Mack had the same habit. Every Friday was payday. Everybody in our community in the neighborhood I lived in were hourly workers. My dad, Mr. Mack, and we were blue collar area. And uh, Mr. Mack had the same habit. When he got paid on Fridays, he cast his check and went to a bar. And uh, at that time, we didn't have air conditioner at home, even in New Orleans. This goes back to the Stone Ages. So uh, th- we'd have our kitchen windows up. They'd have their kitchen windows up, and all hell would break loose next door. We would hear screaming. We would hear follow- hollering. We'd hear foul words. We would hear fighting. And it's because Mr. Mack came home drunk again on Friday night. It repeated itself week after week after week. He was so nice during the weekends, but he was hellacious on the weekends. So nice during the week, hellacious on the weekends. We saw it in our family. Uh, we, Bev's sister was an alcoholic. Uh, she died of pancreatic cancer a few years ago, but she wrestled with that. Her brother struggled with alcohol in a fit of rage one day. Uh, we're not sure all that happened, but uh, he took a gun and murdered his wife and took his own life. We have seen that disaster firsthand, firsthand. Abuse is tragic. Addiction is tragic. We've seen it. We've experienced it. We've lived it. Substance addictions abound. They abound. 88,000 people die from alcohol-related deaths every year in America. 88,000 people. Teen alcohol use kills 4,700 teenagers every year. That's more than all the illegal drugs combined. You start doing the math, divide that by 12 months, divide that by 30 days, and you find teenagers dying every single day from alcohol. Every 50 minutes, a person in the United States dies in a motor vehicle accident that's related to alcohol. That means between the service last hour and the service this hour, two people in our country died because of an alcohol-related accident. I'll come to that verse in a second. I mean, the use of alcohol is not sinful. Jesus made the very best wine that there ever was. Jesus would not have made wine if the drinking of wine was sinful. Drunkenness is. Scriptures are very clear about that. And so it may be okay for you to take a drink. It may not be that's you and your conscience or those around you. Some of our heroes in church history were quite fond of drink. John Calvin, the great reformer, uh, history tells us he included in his compensation from his his church were 250 gallons of wine annually. Man, no no wonder there was a reformation. (laughs) 250 gallons of wine every year. Hopefully he shared that with a lot of people. Martin Luther writes how the theology of the Reformation was debated over the greatest beers ever brewed, and they were brewed by his wife. She was a brewer. What you may not know is one of the first buildings built by the Puritans after landing at Plymouth Rock was a brewery. They were so legalistic in other areas, but they had to have their beer. I mean, they came over from Europe. It was, it was okay. It was condoned there. And so we, we look at all those things and recognize the drinking of alcohol in itself is not sinful. But sometimes, because of those around us, it's better for us not to do it or because of our own struggles. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. I mean, if you're at dinner and you know that, you're, that a person at dinner with you is struggling with alcohol, why would you do that? You can do without that. If I'm at dinner with a dear friend and we're at a nice place and I'd like to have a glass of wine with my steak or my Italian food, but I know that person's struggling with alcohol, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And so just because it's right doesn't mean you have to do it. I mean, it's wrong in certain situations. 
For some of you, it's wrong to take a sip of alcohol because you know where it's going to lead. If you're underage, in the legal drinking age, is it 18 or 21? What is it? 21? So it's 21 in the state of Texas. Did you hear they raised the minimum drinking age in Arkansas to 24? They're trying to keep alcohol out of high school in Arkansas. I had three guys lined up to punch me out after last hour, all from Arkansas. I told them they're probably related. There are only three last names in Arkansas anyway. Here's what Proverbs says, wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler. Whoever's intoxicated by it is not wise. You're a fool. He says, you're a fool if you're getting drunk. Proverbs, interestingly enough, the next verses I'm gonna read come from Proverbs 26. Proverbs, I'm sorry, Proverbs 23, verses 29 and following. And it talks about the state of intoxication. It's amazing how this is so relevant to today. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger over wine, those who go to taste mixed wine, do not look on the wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. So just don't think about when you first start taking it. Think about when you've had it for a while, because at the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and your mind will utter perverse things. And you will be like one who lies down in the middle of the sea or like one who lies down on the top of a mass. You get drunk and your equilibrium's off. You don't know where you're. You're like on top of a mast of a, of a boat and you're going back and forth, back and forth back and forth. You utter perverse things. You see strange things. You say and do things that you naturally would not say and do. That's the drunkard. He says, they struck me, but I, I did not become ill. They beat me, but I didn't even know it. You're drunk and you get beat up and you don't even know what happened. When I wake up, the alcoholic says, I need another drink. In spite of all those things, I need another drink. Some of you, by God's grace, have been freed from alcoholism, from drug use. Some have not. Some of you are living in denial right now. You don't think you need help, but you better get help. Because if you don't get help, you're going to lose everything you have. Those that love you the most are shattered the most right now. Some of you grew up in homes where a mom or a dad was an alcoholic, where a grandparent was an alcoholic or brother or sister who's an alcoholic or drug user, and you know the pain of all this. It's only a transformed heart that will change things. Some of you are causing others to stumble. You've got sons, daughters, spouses, friends. It's a real battle for them, and you don't care because you're going to have your whatever it is, your drink, your drug in front of them because it's their problem. And Jesus says it's better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and cast in the sea than to cause one of his little children to stumble. And it's just wrong for you to do it. Some of you are highly judgmental. You're legalistic. You're upright and you're uptight. And a glass of wine tonight would do you well. <laughs> you're judging everybody. You're judging everybody. And your heart should be broken. When I think about this, my heart's broken. I don't walk around judging these folks. I'll walk around weeping for these folks because these addictions are so hard to overcome.
What about drugs? Every day, more than 1,000 people in the United States are treated in emergency rooms for misusing prescription opioids. One of our physicians came to me after who works in the emergency room and says, Gary, that statistic is way low. That's low. Every day, more than 130 people in the United States die after overdosing. This is just on opioids. 130 people per day. I, I, I did a little math. That's five people per hour. Every hour we sit here. There's only one killed in a traffic accident related to alcohol. There are five that die from opioid overdose. In 2017, there were approximately 40,000 motor vehicle-related deaths, 39,000 firearm-related deaths, 64,000 drug overdose-related deaths. Let that sink in for a moment. Almost as many people died of drug overdose deaths as accidental motor vehicle and firearm deaths combined. There's an epidemic out there. What are we going to do? Then there are acceptable addictions. Acceptable addictions. There's the addiction to video gaming. Have you noticed that? There's an app on my phone. I put on, I take off. I put on, I take off. I put on, I take off. It's called Wood Puzzle. (laughs) One of my dear friends introduced me to it on a trip, and I thought, this is a great way just to, you know, veg and do nothing. And so, so then I found myself coming home and... I'm playing a stinking game when I, I love to read. I love to be with my bride. I love to go to movies. And I'm sitting there, I'm playing wood phone. I put it back so I could use it as an illustration today. <laughs> right. A stupid game that I let tie up 15, 20 minutes a day and I look at that and think, what are you doing, you idiot? You're a fool. Rocker. Uh, addiction to video gaming, addiction to shopping. Anybody admit they have that addiction? You're afraid to raise your hands, aren't you? Huh? Yeah, the euphoria that comes from buying something else. An addiction to sports. How many of you gone through withdrawal because there's no football for the last five months? Yeah. <laughs> then the Cowboys start losing again, and you hope football season's over. And <laughs> There's addiction to work, addiction to body image, addiction to gym time, addiction to social media. I mentor young men. We meet on Fridays. I've been doing it for several years. I can't tell you the number of young men said, my wife and Facebook, my wife and Instagram, my wife and Snapchat. Gets up during the night and looks at Facebook or Instagram. It becomes an addiction. Bluebell ice cream. Paul, here's what Samuel Johnson said. The chains of a habit are too weak to be felt until they're too strong to be broken. That's a great statement. The chains of a habit, substitute the word addiction, are too weak to be felt until they're too strong to be broken. One day and we're just snared and the chains bind us. We will break sin's ongoing power and influence in our life when we turn from denial and despair to practice immediate intentional confession. When we are willing to admit that we have this battle, that's the first step. When we are willing to admit that we have a struggle, that's the first step to hope and healing. Until you can say, yes, I've got a problem. I've got a problem with sexual addiction. I've got a problem with alcohol. I've got a problem with drugs. I've got a problem with shopping. I've got a problem with food. I've got a problem. Until we admit that it's an issue, we will never be able to conquer whatever it is we're wrestling with. 
Paul says this, therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed to the things of this world, the things we're talking about, but you renew your mind every day. It's a battle for the mind so you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. So let me conclude by giving you three areas of hope, if you will. Three areas of hope and healing, comfort. First of all, it begins with a transformed heart. It begins with a heart that is transformed. There are a lot of people that know about Jesus. They've grown up in churches. They've grown up at TBC. They know about God. Their parents have a strong faith, but their heart has not been transformed yet. This begins with transformation. You will never be able to overcome a sinful addiction unless Jesus Christ reigns in your heart. Paul puts it this way. He says, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality. The word dead there, another translation says to mortify. Another one says to kill it. You kill it. You kill it, first of all, by coming to Christ as Savior, and then you kill it, not by putting on the old rags of sin every day, but putting on the royal robes of righteousness every single day by the power of God in you. You overcome these addictions by walking in the Spirit, any sin, any sin, any addiction. First of all, by making sure that your heart is transformed. Secondly, by walking in the Spirit. Galatians 5.16, I say, walk by the Spirit and you'll not carry out the desires of the flesh. The things we're talking about are desires of the flesh. Your flesh and my flesh desire these things. The only way we overcome is by living a life and walking in the Spirit. And finally, in Galatians, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, we are filled with the Spirit. That's how we do it. It says, do not be drunk with wine, for that's dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Paul is using a contrast here. He says, a person controlled by wine does unnatural things. We saw that in Proverbs, right? Where they go out and they get beat up and they don't know it, or they're, they're, they say perverse things, et cetera. He says, a person controlled by wine is, is controlled by something other than themselves. They do unnatural things. His contrast, but... Be filled with the Spirit, filled as being controlled. A person controlled by the Spirit of God is controlled by something other than himself or herself, and they don't do, they don't do unnatural things, they do supernatural things. Because if you look in the next three verses in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 19, 20, and 21, it says a person who's filled with the Spirit is a person who has praise in his heart, thanksgiving in his heart, and is submissive to other people. So the evidence of being filled with the Spirit is not speaking in tongues and other things, but it's a heart filled with praise, a heart filled with thanksgiving, and a heart filled with submission. It's only as we have transformed hearts and walk in the Spirit that we can overcome any sin and any addiction. I realized this morning that I'm dealing with a lot of people who either have overcome, who want to overcome, or don't even admit that they need to overcome some type of addiction. So I ask you today, not what, but who is controlling your life? Is it you and you're losing that battle or is it the Holy Spirit? Because the only way you will be set free by God's grace is by walking in the spirit every single day as you wrestle with the battle. Let's pray. Father, some have been convicted.
And I pray that conviction will bring about transformation. Some in our body have been set free, and for that we give you praise and we give you glory, and I pray others will be set free this morning. Others live in denial, saying there's not really an issue. And they've been willing to give up so much without realizing that they're stuck in a quagmire of sin. So, Spirit of God, we ask you before we started to do a work in the hearts of these, your people. And I pray now your word will not return void. In the name of Jesus, amen. Would you welcome my friends Pat and Amanda Pratt to the stage? So these are dear friends. Uh, I don't know how many years ago. Can you guys remember what year we did the cardboard testimonies? I, I can't remember. It's Peter been... It was a baby. So it was a, it was a number of years baby. ago. So what was it? Eight years ago. Uh, eight years ago. We did something called cardboard testimonies. It's where folks walked up and they had one thing on a card. They flipped it and they had uh, how their life had changed. And so Pat and Amanda were the first people to come up eight years ago and participate in the cardboard testimony. A number of you folks participated as well. Uh, I've rewatched that. 50 times in my office over the last years, and it's an amazing testimony of what Christ did. We captured that video. It's only about six seconds, so this took place eight years ago. My faithful Father So Bev and I have gotten to know Pat and Amanda really well, and uh, I, I thought it'd be appropriate preaching this message for them to hear the rest of the story. So God did a marvelous work in both of your lives. Christ came in, invaded your lives, and uh, they've been miraculous changes. So share with us. We look at that, and we saw a homeless, convicted felon in jail, but something changed drastically. You think that happened in 2006. This year I celebrated 12 years of my sobriety in April. Of course, through God's grace, he has blessed us with a beautiful family. Uh, as you saw on the picture up there, it was in 2006. I was homeless. Let me give you a little snippet of what happened. I was homeless and I was in the same town that my son grows to school at and he had every right to call me a junkie. Every right. And now today, I have a wonderful relationship with my son. Amen. He has blessed me with a beautiful wife and two other beautiful redheaded children. <laughs> God is good. God is good all the time. We, uh, we, just sold our, we just sold our house. We had the house on the market for a week. And uh, it is sold, and we're now we're looking for another house. So you're homeless again. Yeah, homeless, homeless again. <laughs> no, we've been blessed by somebody that's been homeless. <laughs> yeah. But God is good. And addiction is real, guys. Addiction is real. And I am throwing this out there. We are here to help you and support you in any way humanly possible. Call us any time of the day. I don't care if it's 1 o'clock in the morning. I don't care. I will pick up the phone, and I will do what I can to help you through this addiction. Amen. Amanda? So I, um, so as you saw on the cards, I am a convicted felon and a drug addict. And whenever I got out of jail and got out of rehab, um, I was given an opportunity 
to start work at a company, and that company was led by really great Christian family who have loved me and accepted me just the way that I am. And so they're actually here, and I wanted to thank them on that. I have a really great family that um, has loved me and supported me through that. God allowed me to be a wife Mm. and a mother, which I was very scared that after all of my years of abuse and horrible things that I had done, that that probably wasn't going to be an option, but God saw differently. And we've been in Bible studies. We were in the very first meeting of Celebrate Recovery here at Temple Bible Church. Um, And I think one of the biggest things that I've learned, and it it took me a while to finally figure this out, is that um, I struggle and still struggle with today is um, feeling worthy and less than and not understanding why Jesus could love me because it's just, um, it's, it's very hard to grasp. And I read that uh, on the cross that Jesus, when he was hanging there, he was seeing all of the sins and all of the things, all of the things that had been done and would be done. And he knew us all by name and saw all of our faces and saw all of this. And even through all of that and knowing how broken we were, he still said, forgive them, Father, they know not what they do. And I have just held that in my heart that we have a Jesus that loves us and a God that forgives us. And he already knew all of this before we were ever created and still, still put his son out there to love us. And so I just try to wrap my head around that every day and every minute that I, I am not worthy, but Jesus loves me anyway, which makes me worthy. Amen. Thank you, guys. So here's how I want to conclude this morning. Um, Pat and Amanda to come down here. I'm going to ask elders and wives to come and join us up here. I may have all of us stand. Some of you are wrestling with an addiction right now. Some of you, last hour we prayed for a lot of people. I had two ladies come to me. Both of them had brothers get out of rehab yesterday. Just yesterday. The good news is one's doing well. The bad news is one called that lady in the service this morning and he was in a bar drinking. Just got out yesterday. And so we want to pray for your family members. We want to pray for you. We want to pray for your close friends, whoever it is. So if you've got somebody wrestling with some type of addiction or maybe you are somebody you know, we wanna pray over you and pray with you. So we're all gonna to stand together. Let's go ahead and stand. We're gonna sing one final song. Pat and Amanda will be down here. Bev and I will be here. Elders and wives, join us up here. You come and be prayed over or let's pray for your family member. Let's pray for the person that you love. Maybe it's a, somebody you work with, maybe it's a neighbor, but we wanna pray with you, pray for you, pray over you this morning as you come forward.
will Jesus is calling No, come to the altar The Father's arms are open wide Forgiveness was part with the precious blood of Jesus Christ Leave behind your regrets and mistakes Come today, there's no reason to wait Jesus is calling Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy From the ashes a new life is born Jesus is calling
precious blood of Jesus Christ.